Good morning. So, we're going to start off with something this morning that maybe you're not guilty of, but I'm sure you know somebody who's guilty of this. Have you seen people that offer excuses? Have you ever seen anybody else but yourself offer excuses? Let's rephrase that. Have you ever offered an excuse? Never, right? Never. We're not, we're not the type to admit that we offer excuses. But see, this is, the, this is the thing that really probably makes it difficult for many of us as, as mere men and women on this earth. Is we find ourselves constantly looking at others offering excuses and finding their excuses pathetic and ours to be valid. Right? That's the default position. Everyone else's excuse is invalid. Mine is legit. It is reasonable, and there is a great explanation for it, right? Well, if you were to actually look at uh, most writings and books on, you know, really how to run a successful business, how to run a successful marketing campaign, one of the things uh, that's constantly mentioned is the reason people give as to why they can't get things done. So here are some of the 10 most used excuses in a business setting, right? Okay, number one, I... Forgot. Pretty valid, valid, right? You know, I forgot. Nothing to it. I forgot. Couldn't get to it. Didn't know what was going on. Number two, no one told me to go ahead. This is a common one in business. We're assuming there's a project that's going to be, begin, be started soon, and then we didn't get the final go-ahead. So the assumption is, well, I didn't go because I didn't get another go-ahead. Number three, this is a very common one. I didn't think it was that important. Imagine being in charge and that's the excuse someone gives you. Um, It's your job. You didn't think it was that important? Here's another one. Wait until the boss comes back and ask him. Meaning, this was assigned to me, but ultimately the boss is in charge. Ask him. Here's a common one. I didn't know you were in a hurry for it. That's a common one when there's something that should have been done a while ago. And there's been a wait. And for some reason, there's an assumption there was no hurry to get that done. Here's a very common excuse. That's the way we've always done it. If we always did things the way we've always done it, there will never be improvement. And sadly, that's a common excuse even in the church today. Here's a common one. That's not my department. Uh, My job description has nothing to do with what you're asking right now. It's not my department. Here's one. Maybe you've said this one. I know I have. How was I to know this was different? How was I to know this was different? I didn't know. I'm waiting for an okay. And almost like the other one earlier mentioned, that's his job, not mine. Right? 
someone else's job. Well, this morning, as we look in the text in Exodus, hopefully you've been reading along with us, you see that we have a patriarch in Moses who offers his list of excuses when God, God calls him to serve him. So just to give you a little background on the text, before we start, just FYI, we all have offered excuses, every one of us. There's no exception to that rule. The only exception I can find in all of Scripture is Christ. So, some background to the text, just to catch us up to speed here. Israel's population in Egypt grew from 70 to over 300,000 men from the time of Joseph to Moses, towards the later end when they exited. And there are the references there. Pharaoh commanded the Hebrew midwives to kill the boys and save the girls. Moses' parents came from the line of Levi and hid him for three months. I want you to think about that one. Think of the Levites later on. It's an interesting connection. Moses is saved and named by the daughter of Pharaoh when he is discovered in the river. He was not named by his mother. He was named by the Pharaoh's daughter. Moses murders an Egyptian who is beating a Hebrew and runs away. Moses runs away to Midian where he spends about 40 years before going back as God's messenger. God remembers his promise to the patriarchs and hears the cry of the Hebrews in slavery. And this is where we pick up the narrative to see God's calling of Moses and his list of excuses as to why he can't and shouldn't go. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Exodus chapter 3. We're going to set the context here. And then we'll, we'll see the verse on the screen for Moses' excuse. And then we'll see God's response to each one of his excuses. But starting in verse number 1 in chapter 3, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Then Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, 
And I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses decides to offer an excuse to what God's called him to. So we're going to look at five different excuses that Moses lists off here. I can't do this. That's the first one. Number two, I don't have all the answers. Number three, they won't believe me. Number four, I'm not good with words. And number five, pick someone else. Pick someone else. So, the first excuse, I can't do this. What do you see that Moses actually does here? He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses seems to start off by realizing who he is in the grand scheme of things and that, simply put, I'm not equipped to do this. God, I don't think you have this right. I don't think I'm the one to deliver Israel. I mean, have, have you seen what I've been doing for the last 40 years? I've been kind of in a desert. I got married. Taking care of some things. In fact, here's what's interesting. If you look at verse 21 in chapter 2 of Exodus. Uh, look at this verse. It says, Then Moses was content to live with the man, and he gave Zephora his daughter to Moses. So, so Moses actually found family in the desert. He was content to live there. But God, God was calling him to more than that. What's God's response? Well, God's response is very simple. I will be with you. Notice what he says. I will certainly be with you. Verse 12. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God responds with his presence is what's going to sustain Moses. Don't assume that just because you don't feel up to the task that God calls you to, that he won't equip you to do it. You see, every one of us at different times in our lives feel ill-equipped to do what God calls us to. I'm not sure I can do this. This person can do it much better than I can. Um, God, uh, I don't think you're getting this one right. Are you sure? Are you sure it's me? And God is saying, I will be with you. You know, sometimes God's presence is all you need. We want the big things, but God's presence is all we need. God determines who is qualified. And he waited on Moses about 40 years before calling him to the service. It may take time, but when that time comes, you need to understand that God calls you to a task. He will equip you for that task. He will, every time. He wants you to be the instrument of deliverance from sin and death in others' lives. He's not asking you to do something he won't enable you to do. Every single disciple of Jesus Christ is called to be a disciple maker. To make disciples. We've been talking about this for quite some time. God is not going to call you to something he will not be present with you on.
If you've been in the church for any amount of time, you'll see that many of us, we tend to respond with, I can't do this as a default. This is something that people have brought up multiple times here in the church. What's our church really going to be able to do? And it simply boils down to this, ladies and gentlemen. Do we trust that God's presence is enough or not? Is he enough or not? Because if he isn't, and if you're trusting in your own strength, then you're right, you can't do this. You're absolutely right. And there's not a single one of us who's a follower of Jesus Christ that without his presence can get anything done. Period. You're right. You can't do it. But he can. And he will through you. You won't hear from a burning bush like Moses did here. But let me tell you, I've been talking about this for a while now. You hear from here. This is the most direct you can hear from God. And if you want to have his presence near you, realize that you need to actually spend some time and hear from him. It's not enough to hear from somebody else. You need to open the word for yourself. It's time to follow the instructions God has left in his word. And let him take care of all the details. His presence is enough. So, the second excuse that Moses offers here. I don't have all the answers. Look at what he says here in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and they say to them, and say to them The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? So Moses is going, I don't really have all the answers. I don't theologically know how I can explain to them that you sent me. And God's response is striking here. Notice what he says here in the next verses. I'm just going to start in the first part. And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is a very similar statement to what is made later on at the end of, really, the scripture. It says in Revelation 1.8, this is Christ, I am the Alpha and Omega, the one who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Jesus has that same exact message for us today. Remember when Jesus makes the statement, before Abraham was, I am. We read this morning in Hebrews 11, choosing rather to suffer reproach, because what was the reward? Christ was the reward. See, we don't connect those dots many times because we read Scripture separate. And we don't connect all the things that the patriarchs saw that God was promising them in the, in the future, that they didn't see anything right now, but they knew in faith, I trust God, He's going to do that. Stop waiting for a perfect theological answer to everything you want to offer others. There are too many people in the church 
They want to get everything just right before they head out to do the work of God. And is theological accuracy important? Oh, sure it is. Absolutely. But you and I will not have all the answers. I don't know that even those that have studied the Word 20, 30 years, 50 years have all the answers. Does not excuse us from sharing what God has wanted us to do with others. What God is essentially telling Moses here, you don't need all the answers. I will be your answer. I am self-existent. I'm self-sufficient. I'm the one that's calling you. God is the one that declares the end from the beginning. What do you do in trusting yourself to do the task? In fact, what God is telling Moses is, I've preserved you so far, and I'm going to preserve you moving forward. Because of I am, you can go boldly. God tells Moses to tell the others, the elders, he's the same God who promised their fathers in the past, and he's the one that will deliver in the future. God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh to let Israel offer sacrifice, but gives Moses the heads up that Pharaoh will not listen. He actually gives him the heads up right away. How it's all going to go down. At the end, the result is a miraculous event where Israel leaves with even more than they came in with. You need to know a sovereign God who is in control. And that will be your only support at times, believer. That will be your only support at times. Does anybody realize what kind of community Moses had at this time? Was he in part of fellowship with his brethren during this time? No. He was in fellowship with the great I Am, who told him, I will be the one who preserves you. And I'm the one that's calling you. And I have the answers you don't. And you need to tell the children of Israel that I am sent you. This isn't more confidence in yourself, Moses. This is more confidence in me. And believe me, you don't need more of those self-help books. You need more of God's help in your life. This whole, I can do better, we all do it. And we fall flat on our faces, don't we? Why? It's all built in human pride. It's not relying on God's Spirit. It's not relying on Him. It's saying, this time I'm going to do better, right? We ever do this, done this in our minds? This time I'll respond better to my family. This time I'll respond better to that coworker. This time I'll raise my kids better. You're attempting to make sense of how to answer every person. And God's the only answer you need. You need to know Him so you can share Him with others. If you don't know Him, you can't share Him. That's why the worst testimonies in the church are the ones that are not knowing who God is in His Word. Because your description will be flawed of who God is. 
And that's why the world can read right through that so easily. That's why the church in other countries grows at an exponentially greater rate than here in America, because over there it's genuine. And let me tell you, some of them theologically don't get everything right. But God grows His church. He continues to grow His church. Here's the thing. You may even have all the correct answers. And God may give them to you. But others will still reject. In fact, God tells Moses, you tell them the I am sent you. And Pharaoh still rejects the message. Over and over and over. If it was about the right answer, you'd think that Pharaoh would have probably gotten it the third or fourth time. It wasn't until God took his firstborn that Pharaoh understood. So let me ask you, parents, do you think that you have all the answers when it comes to raising your children? If you've been a parent for any amount of time, you realize you don't have a lot of the answers. God does. He is your answer. Your desire and passion should be not to have your children know more facts about God, but to know God. There's a difference. Your children can learn a lot of facts, but not know the God of the Bible. Pharisees are living proof of that. They knew a lot more about who Jesus was supposed to be, but they didn't know Jesus himself. They argued with him constantly. And Jesus throughout was always trying to reveal to them, what you know in the word is who I am. You don't need to have all the answers, parents. You need to know the answer. God himself. And if you give your children God himself, he'll fill in those blanks that you have. Number three, the third excuse that Moses decides to give God here. Bless you. Then Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to you. What if they don't believe me, God? What if I'm wasting my time trying to tell them? Moses doubts the elders will actually believe him, even though God tells him specifically how it will all end. By the way, God had just finished telling him how it's all going to end. Is that not how we do things? God tells us how it's all going to end. There's victory at the end of this whole thing. And we're like, oh man, we're doomed. It's over. Like, have you read Revelation? Who wins? Who wins? God wins. What are we worried about? Oh, but you don't know. You're right. He does. If we're trying to build each other up with our miserable existence, we're never going to get anywhere. God's the only one that's self-sufficient. God's the only one that can give us the faith that we need to endure whatever it is that comes our way. 
So here's the thing. Moses used the others as the excuse for his own lack of faith. Because guess what God does? Look at God's response. He turns the rod into a serpent. His hand turns leprous. And water turns to blood. So what does God do? He proves to him three different ways that he is who he says he is. And he's going to have faith in him. Before God can use us to reach others, he's proving himself to us directly. And he does it constantly. When you and I can't walk in faith like Abraham here, uh, Moses here is lacking faith before God calls him to do this. And blaming everybody else for the lack of belief when really the lack of faith is on his part. He doesn't believe God here. God responds by showing him three miraculous things back to back to prove that he's, he can be trusted. So here's a question. Are you and I more afraid of people's response than we're afraid of lacking faith in God? We're more afraid of people's response than lack of faith in God. Remember the text of Scripture, if you've read the New Testament. Without faith, it is impossible to what? Please Him. Please God. Why are we attempting to even do things without faith? This is a faith checkup, if you will, for Moses. Oh, you're telling, you're, you're telling me that the others may not believe? Well, Moses, let me prove to you. Here. Where's our own faith in God? Why are we always blaming everyone else for a lack of faith when we ourselves are faithless? Moses here is giving the excuse that others won't believe me when I say this. And God's saying, well, let me prove to you that I am who I am because you're not believing me either. Before you can share your faith with somebody else, God has to be real to you. If your faith is fraudulent, it'll come out as fraudulent to others. Always has, always will. You can't give somebody else what you yourself don't possess. That's one of the reasons why false teachers can't give the true gospel, because they're constantly giving a false hope to people. And the true children of God see through that. Be honest enough to admit when you have a lack of faith. See, I'm going to pause for a second and say something that maybe some of you have heard me say, maybe some of you haven't. I believe with all my heart God can do incredible things in this church. Not because anybody in here is incredible. I know, I know who Pastor Roman is. But because God is that incredible. And if we passionately love the Lord the way we ought to, and we love being in His Word, God promises and delivers. He promised to the early patriarchs, He's promised throughout Scripture, and His Word is always delivered. Always. The guarantee is Him, not your man. Like, you're going to fall. Okay, God still predicts you're going to fall. Okay? Just... Does not mean that you are not going to fall. You will. But God's word guarantees that there's a good result conformity to Christ. That the Holy Spirit works in us. I don't know why we lack faith in God doing that. 
We trust God for our eternity, but we don't trust Him for the next day we live. Makes no sense. God, I trust you for my eternal soul. But with my finances, uh, I don't know. Maybe it's time to go look in the Word and start applying what He said about finances. And maybe you'll see the results the way He wants you to have them. Maybe in our relationships, if we stopped reading all the psychology and read right, went back to the Word and said, hey, here's what love looks like, maybe we'd start living it right. Maybe if we weren't so much about self-esteem, but humbling ourselves, maybe we'd have better results. It's not esteeming yourself higher. It's esteeming Him higher. It's always been that way for anybody that's walked in faith. It wasn't just the people that Moses was referring to that was lacking faith. It's Moses himself that was. Number four. Number four. (laughs) I'm not good with words, God. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not good at this stuff. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant. But I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. I'm not good with words, God. Why would you pick me? I mean, isn't there somebody else? Moses tells God he's unable to articulate his thoughts into words well. There's no way that he could do what God is asking. I love God's response, though. This is great. Look at verse number 11. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? You want to offend me, Moses? I made your mouth. You want to go there? Let's go there. How many of you remember reading through Job earlier in this year? Similar approach. Where were you, Job? Let's put your big boy pants on. Same approach here with Moses. Right? He's not. God cuts right to the chase. Notice what he says. Who has made man's mouth, and who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. God's response, I will help you speak. I made your mouth. I will help you speak. One excuse many of us use constantly is our disability or our perceived disability to serve God. You see, God has created each and every one of us uniquely. And some of us have different struggles than others in this life. That does not negate you from service. That does not negate you to do what God's called you to. Simply because you have a different infirmity than somebody else. You see, a lot of us, we kind of grew up with this mentality throughout the years. I was always the last one picked for the team. God can't actually want me to serve in this capacity. I mean, when I was growing up, nobody picked me. 
That might be you. Hey, there's hope, and I don't mean this to be crass. God has picked losers throughout history. Okay? He has. From little shepherd boys like David, who didn't seem to amount to much with his brothers, all of a sudden becomes king. The youngest kid in the family, raised to king status. Imagine that promotion shocking your, your uh, siblings. We just talked about Joseph. How would that go down? Sold to slavery. Gideon, a scared man in hiding. God calls him a brave man. Brave? He's cowardly. It's because God saw what was going to happen with Gideon later on. Here's another one. I'm, I'm struggling with a physical ailment. You just don't know my health history. I've got stuff going on. God can't be referring to me. God has always used those that are weak to accomplish certain things through his strength. The Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh. Nobody knows what it is. Everyone always debates it. But the reality is there's something that Paul was begging God to remove. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness... I'm made strong. Your physical ailment may very well be the thing that God uses to reach somebody with the gospel message. This is a true story, and you have to understand, there are certain people that when they go through cancer, God has opened a new ministry for, and they're not seeing it. Because they're wallowing in misery because it's hard. And I get it. It is hard. But God may very well be using that incident to open a ministry to others that are hurting and struggling. That are without hope. And you have hope. Don't. Don't use your physical ailment as an excuse for not serving God. Moses here had to get put in this place. Especially when God says, Who made your mouth? Here's a big one that probably everyone can relate to. My past failures can't amount to much of a future. Many women or women used by God have a past that they are ashamed of. Paul had a terrible past, persecuting other Christians. Rahab had a terrible past, a former life of being a prostitute. Peter was a coward when he was called out by a girl. And yet he comes back and is restored and preaches boldly the gospel. And many are saved. Your past is not an excuse for where God could take you in the future. It's not. If you read from beginning to end, you will see stories and stories of failures that God turned into success for his glory. There is no excuse for your past to be used against your future. Because God can restore any one of us. And he has. And he will continually. It's not a valid excuse. Moses, I made your mouth. I'll teach you how to speak. And number five, this is probably the most common excuse you will find in all of human Kind. Pick someone else. Don't tell me you've never done that. 
Pick someone else. Why are you picking me? God, this is how Moses says in verse 13 of chapter 4, he says, But he said, O my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. God, please, use someone else. Don't use me. Use someone else. As God constantly chops down Moses' excuse, Moses just finally tells God to just pick someone else, please. God continually eliminates the excuses and Moses keeps coming back with more. Truth be told, Moses should have just said, I just don't want to do it right from the get-go. He probably would have been more honest than his flowery language for why he couldn't go before. Oh Lord, it's my speech. Oh Lord, I don't have all the answers. I'm not sure how to do this. And then at the end, God, please pick someone else. God's response. Verse 14. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be a mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. God's response, I will give you more support. Uh, Imagine being Aaron in this whole mix. You didn't even know this conversation was going down. (laughs) I just try to put myself in the story and go, man, poor Aaron. He He didn't even know what was going on here. Oh, I'm a spokesman now for my brother. Great. Excellent. Yeah, God said you got to do this, Aaron. What I love at the end, and I was telling my wife this last night, God tells him at the end, he says, and you shall take this rod on your hand with, you, with which you shall do the signs. Hey, Moses, take the rod. Aaron will speak on your behalf. Take the rod. It says that God was angry at Moses at this point. But he still provided him with the support he needed. His brother Aaron, who was apparently able to deliver the message. Just pick someone else is probably the easiest excuse anyone can come up with. If we all use this one, nothing would be done for the kingdom of God. Nothing. Here's the thing. You may not be as good as, some, as someone else in some area that does not excuse you from serving in other areas. For example, you may not be able to play an instrument, but the worship band is not the only thing we need in the church. There are other areas of service that are needed. Opportunities constantly exist, and even if you're in a difficult time where you can't give as much of your time and energy, it's very encouraging for those of us in leadership to know, hey, in the future, Pastor Roman, when this is done right here, this, this, this area of my life where I'm taking care of the little ones, this and that, here's what I want to do. That's always encouraging to hear. To know where you would like to serve later on. Look, your first priority is family. And I understand that as a pastor. I really do. Got three of my own boys to raise. But as time goes on, if there's something that God calls you to minister, don't don't hide behind that as an excuse for why you can't serve. Please? Can I be that straightforward? God gives his children gifts and talents and skills so that he can use them to bring himself more glory. Even those whose life 
may have been shattered. God usually gives the faithful more tasks, which gets passed on to more faithful, which are given more tasks. That's how the gospel message is spread. Faithful men who pass on to other faithful men. Practically speaking, try to be more than a one-time help. Being a disciple is a lifelong commitment. I hope you don't look at what we're doing here as a church as this cool new fad. We're getting into the Bible reading. We're doing small groups. This is a way of life. And sadly, the church checks out. The church checks out. And they wonder why we don't have an impact. And the church itself doesn't think it has an impact. It's because we look at it and say, well, here's a six-week program. We're done with it. Good. Graduate from that one. You don't graduate from the Bible. Period. Never. There's no PhD in the B-I-B-L-E. Okay? None. You don't graduate from it. And yet so many Christians have checked out years ago. Oh, I know about David. I know about Moses. I don't need to learn anymore. Have you read through Ezekiel? Try that book. Let it stretch you a little bit. What about Obadiah? Oh, wait, you don't even know where that is. That's a problem. Because we haven't been reading. You see, that's how typically it goes in the Christian walk. As we start strong, we're running the race, and we fall, and we don't want to get back up. Because it's hard. We got our knees scraped up. Hopefully you didn't break a leg. But you got to get up. You got to recuperate. You got to keep going. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a long race. There are going to be many, many distractions. Many things that take you off course and you get right back on again. So a few things of encouragement regarding this. If you're single, serve. If you're married without children, serve. If you're married with children, serve. No exceptions. It may not be the same way that somebody else does, but it's whatever God calls you to. And if there's nothing that you can do, nothing that you can offer, pray that God reveals that to you. It may be a very dangerous prayer, but it's a good prayer nonetheless. It's, it's, the similar, it's a similar response that God will give to that prayer that he gives to patience prayers. All right? Dangerous prayer to pray. Lord, give me more patience. Lord, show me what you want me to do. It's shocking when we pray that way how quickly God will reveal things to us. Sometimes it may come in the pet peeve that you have here at the church. Man, that's annoying. Why do we always do it like this? Hey! Guess what? That may be you that God is calling to this new ministry. Congratulations. Jump on board. We'd love to have you. So in conclusion, in what ways has God called you to serve that you've offered him only excuses? In what ways has God called you to serve that you've only offered him excuses? 
If we all waited for someone in this church to lead a study, someone else to clean the church, someone else to take care of the nursery, nothing would get done. Please consider what it is that God's called you to serve and maybe cut back in other areas. You see, you're going to have to balance your time well. Okay, a little, bit of net, a little less Netflix, more Bible time. I don't know, it's very practical. I know it's something I need to do sometimes. A little less over here, spending time on things that really don't matter all that much. Things for eternity. You have to prioritize your time. Look, if you're not prioritizing time with God, but you prioritize time with everyone else, you need to ask yourself, who is the priority? If you're caring to look good in front of people, but you don't care to look good on the inside before God, then who are you prioritizing? Many of us know how to do the good, good on the outside look. I mean, we're pretty good at it. We've been Christians for a while, you know? There's certain lingo we use in church. That was so encouraging, brother. That was so nice to hear. Hey, we're broken people. We're broken people. Stop pretending. Stop looking at everyone else as the only ones with flaws. We all have them. From the top to the bottom. But that should not be an excuse for not serving. You'd be surprised how different this church would be if we stopped with our excuses. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for the encouragement that we see here with Moses. That each and every excuse that he offered, you came back with an answer. And Father, we know that even as we are on this path in life, constantly trying to figure out what it is that you've called us to, we know that some things are very clear. You've called us to make disciples. And Father, we ask that you would make our church a church that values the gospel message and to see growth spiritually. Father, we thank you so much for those that proactively already serve quite a bit in this church. We ask that you give them strength and encouragement that their work is not in vain as they serve the Lord Christ. And Father, I ask that you would convict those that may not currently be serving, that you would bring them into the fold to serve your people. Because we know that if we love one another the way that we ought to, that others in the world will see that we're your disciples indeed. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.